This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 94 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Angeline Trevina all about magic systems and world building and all of that good fantasy stuff. Um, I love this conversation. We proper geek out and I talk a bit more about uh, Murdering Magicians, which is the next series I'm going to be writing uh, once I finish The Scent of Death. Well, <laughs> and my other series. Uh, but yes, next year I will be working on uh, murdering magicians. And so I'm like in the process of building a magic system. And so this was a really helpful conversation to me. Um, and I hope that in the selfish questions I asked <laughs> to help me build my magic system, that you guys will get something out of it too, to help you guys build your magic systems. But first to last week's question, which was, what are the best author events you've been to, whether that's digital or in person? So the first response was from Edwin Downward, who said, we have a local long running uh, FMSFF fan con known as VCon, which has always had a strong writer's track. Five years ago, Creative Inc. Festival appeared in the local area and I've attended every year they held one. On the virtual side, I've dipped into another of uh, another conference over the last year. Uh, but the one that stands out uh, the most was Indie Fire by the ladies who bring us the Unstoppable Authors podcast. Oh, well, that is well-timed because one of those ladies is Angeline herself. The other one is HB Line and she was um, on... Actually, I think she may have been on two podcasts. Uh, one of them was on Girl Setting and the other one was on World Building right early on. So uh, yeah, you can go to the podcast homepage on my website and uh, just search for HB Line uh, for, for those episodes. Uh, Edwin continues to say the biggest problem with virtual though, is the lack of chance meetings. No, is this seat taken in the lobby or what are, uh, what are we writing at the tea counter? Ian Worrell says the recent pro writing aid fantasy and crime writers week, as well as Adam Hoag's Hoag's conference is. So that is fantastic. Thank you both for those uh, comments. The, um, I wanted to add my own two cents in. So I've been to a lot of conferences over the years and for me it is definitely um, a chance to network. That said, there is still value in the online conferences. I feel like online conferences, it's more about learning um, and physical conferences, it's more about the networking. Um, that said, I... Um, did attend Janet Murray's uh, conference. Well, I was actually speaking at her conference and she had, it was digital, but she created networking rooms via Zoom, which was amazing. Um, and that's the first digital conference I've been to where there was an opportunity for networking. That said, Daniel Wallace uh, from episode 93, the last episode, also had like chat functionality. And so that enabled a bit more networking as well at his conference. So I do think that there are chances to network or, or more often now in digital conferences, but it is still a growing thing. And I have to say like, if and when I do do a conference, I am going to think about how I can facilitate that if I do it online. And then again, of course, in person. So some of the other conferences I've been to that I loved were the 20 books to 50K um, conferences. So I went to one in Runnymede and I went to one in Edinburgh. Uh, they're having one in Madrid next year. I'm not going to that one. Um, and I already have FOMO. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm not going. So um, they are fantastic. Uh, they also have them in Vegas, which I would love to go to at some point. Um, and I'm trying to think of other conferences that I've been to that I really liked. Oh, London Book Fair. That is a big one. I just don't know if that will ever run in the same way that it used to. Um, but that was amazing for the networking opportunities. So yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. I'm very excited because I'm going to Becca Symes' uh, Becca Nation conference, uh, which is all about strengths for writers. Uh, in a couple of weekends time, it starts on the 22nd. So I am super, super excited for that conference. Um, so yeah, I think that's 
it on that question. So this week's question is, what is your favourite magic system? I would love to know because there are many magic systems out there and we talk about lots in the show, but I would be curious to see what your favourite magic system is. So in personal news, um, this week was trying. Uh, my son was still in isolation. He The isolation finishes at midnight tonight, which is Friday the 9th of July. So he goes back to school for a week next week and then he has two days the following week and then he's off for the summer. Uh, right in time for my launch. I'll be honest, I'm really quite stressed. <laughs> I'm really behind on my launch stuff. I'm sure I will be able to get stuff done but um, I'm feeling the pressure right now. Uh, I am not where I thought I would be in terms of all of the work. Um, I still want to produce lots of fun things uh, for the launch videos and tip things and all of that good stuff. So um, yeah, I'm, I am frustrated with myself. I'm frustrated with the universe, but also trying desperately hard um, not to, thanks text messages. <laughs> Also trying desperately hard not to like be bitter or negative. I just want to stay positive. I'm, I'm sure I will smash out the work. Uh, it's just difficult when you're in it. So that's kind of how I am feeling. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Launches are a lot. I think it depends. You know, I tend to do these big splash launches as opposed to uh, just throwing things out and slapping up ads. So that is also one of the reasons why I find it more stressful I suppose because I just yeah I do fewer launches but bigger launches now that said onto the exciting stuff about the launch so um I think I mentioned this last time but if you pre-order a signed copy um, pre-order a copy of side characters um <clears throat> you can submit your uh, proof of pre-order and then you can get an early sneak peek at the book uh, I think I'm giving away the first 25 pages and you'll also be entered into a big physical prize giveaway uh, um, by pre-ordering as well. So I will include the link in the show notes. But for reference, the link is uh, sashablack.co.uk forward slash side pre-order. So if you type that in, you will get to uh, the pre-order form. Uh, so you can, yeah, be entered to win a bunch of goodies, which is exciting. I'm also doing other things. So the way this podcast has fallen, uh, the initial tranche, uh, you, you can't get in the initial tranche, but um, I am now able to offer signed paperback copies from my website. So direct from me. So if you would like to order a signed copy of side characters or in fact, any other of my books, then I am now able to ship um, and I custom sign all of the books. Uh, you can, if you want a particular message, I'm more than happy to put that in. Um, and yes, so you can order those directly on my website, which is sashablack.co.uk forward slash store. Um, although there's a slightly other longer link, which I will put into the show notes that you can use to get to my website. One thing I will say is that the WooCommerce shop design is not great. So I've had a number of comments from people um, <laughs> where, They've added books to the basket and like the basket has vanished. So essentially, once you click add to basket, uh, there's a line of text that comes up sort of to the side or underneath, depending if you're on a phone or a browser that says view basket. That's how you click to go through to the basket. But I think eventually what this tells me is I probably need a different plugin than WooCommerce. Maybe I'll look at PayHip. Um, but yes, if you would like to order a signed copy, uh, I am ordering a bulk load on the 12th of, no, sorry, the 13th of July, which obviously th this has now passed. However, I am going to order enough that I will have some more copies. And of course, I will now stock copies as well. Uh, so you, at any point, you can order a signed copy. Uh, you just might not get it in time for launch uh, if you if you do order sort of after this podcast, but I, I can still get it to you. So that's exciting. The Side Characters book is also my book recommendation of the week. How could it not be? Uh, I'm just a couple of weeks away from launch. And yeah, I am so excited to share this book with you. I was super nervous. I am still nervous, but I am starting to get a few like early reviews come in and I've seen a few of them and I am really excited. 
I feel like side characters are the long forgotten parts of a story that writers and yes, I am generalizing here. What are you going to do? So shoot me. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, writers neglect side characters quite a lot. Of course, not everybody does. But quite often we do neglect our side characters and they are so useful. They are fantastic parts of story and they can really create like deeper, more exciting story. These side characters are the characters you get to be the most free with because they don't have to follow particular arcs for protagonists under particular themes, they, you know, or tropes or whatever. They get, you get to do whatever you want with them because they don't have to abide by most of the roles. So that is why I had so much fun, uh, writing this book. And, um, yeah, I am just seeing lots of people taking different things from it. So for example, one of the reviewers took something from the chapter all about how to kill side characters. I, I read this in one of the reviews. Another reviewer found um, the chapter on fleshing them out really useful. Another one has found the theme, how to you know embody uh, theme in your side characters useful. So yeah, I am loving that everybody is taking something a little bit different from this book. Um, and finally, uh, you know, I'm starting to feel excited to share it with people other than just pure fucking nerves. So yeah, um, that is the book recommendation of the week. Go get yourself a copy of Side Characters. Uh, and just if you didn't know, I have a textbook and a workbook. So the workbook is there to help you actually put into practice uh, the lessons that you learn, because I do really strongly believe that without intentional, purposeful practice, reading can only do so much and you know workbooks aren't for everybody some people like to put that practice in on the chapters that they're writing and that's totally cool but if you do like you know generated writing exercises for you then this is the perfect opportunity so you can grab yourself a uh, workbook too um, if you would like to order the ebook from me I will be that will be up on launch day uh, on my website. It's not up just yet because I haven't quite worked out how to do an ebook pre-order on my website, but I will be um, putting the ebook on my website as well. So yes, you will be able to order that from me and patrons get a 10% discount on everything um, on my website as well. So that is in Patreon if you, um, once you sign up, you'll get that message. All right, Whew, this is a long intro this week. So a couple of other things. Um, I am doing a live Q&A to celebrate the launch of Side Characters, which will be on July the 29th at 8 p.m. GMT, 5 a.m. Eastern, uh, A-E-S-T, which is Australia time, Sydney time, I think, 12 p.m. Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time, um, Eastern American time, as opposed to Eastern Asia time. Um, <clears throat> so you will need to be a member of my Facebook group to join in on that, which you can find at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash rebel authors. And I will also next week be announcing another series of lives that I'm going to be doing on Instagram. So if you're not following me on Instagram, uh, you can find me at Sasha Black Author and there will be a ton of lives um, coming. I'm not going to tell you any more just yet, but yeah, I'm excited to do these lives. And um, one last announcement in terms of the audiobook. I have now finished editing. Uh, if you are a patron... <laughs> you will have got the outtakes from the audio booth and oh my goodness me I need a swear jar because the outtakes are obscene like utterly utterly obscene I'm almost embarrassed like if I were like if I if I had a fuck to give I would be embarrassed but I have no fucks to give so uh yeah it was it was bad <laughs> also funny, hilarious. I've had some wonderful feedback about that. So I will definitely do another outtake reel uh, when I record prose next. Uh, one more, Poison and Prose. The next po patron only Poison and Prose is on the 14th of July. Um, and you should get a reminder in uh, Patreon about that as well. I feel like there was one other thing that I had to mention. It's kind of gone. I don't know what it was. Never mind. So Rebel of the Week this week is Gordo. Gordo says, firstly, thank you for being awesome. Aw, thanks.
weeks. Uh, I'm just beginning my author journey and I discovered you via Meglator's YouTube channel alongside Jenna Ressi and Daniel Wilcox. Thank you very much. Those guys are all some of my faves. So thank you very much for saying such lovely things. My immediate reaction was, who are these divas? And I've since been drinking in everything you've all got to offer. I have a rebel story, but it's much more about the rebellion of my own speech. While I studied filmmaking and screenwriting at uni, I worked part-time at the local cinema. Getting to see films for free and providing my friends with free tickets was amazing. On the flip side, I learned that people have sex in the back row frequently, uh, and much more frequently than you would think, and often during the empty daytime screenings of random kids' movies. Oh god, like Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, and then he, uh, then Gordo sh shudders at the memory. I also learned that when I'm tired, my tongue gets tangled, causing spoonerisms to fall out of my mouth, providing a giggle for customers. For example, and this is going to be hard for me to say, but dot hog, bone fanana, mick and picks, carj lombo. Oh, that was tricky for me to say, but I can, I've definitely done things like that before too. But when you're trying to do it intentionally, uh, it is also <laughs> It's hard to do. Okay, so Gordo continues saying, flashback to a sticky hot summer's day. I was coming up to the end of an 11 hour shift behind a warm retail counter where I had been saying sweet salted popcorn all day. A poor unsuspecting woman, I'm already laughing at where this is gonna go. A poor unsuspecting woman approached the counter with two kids. I opened my tired mouth <laughs> and said, Would you like some sweet or salted cock porn? <laughs> oh my god, this is brilliant. Uh, we stared at each other for an uncomfortable amount of time digesting what I had just said. I didn't even acknowledge it. And she just politely continued with I'll have some sweet popcorn, please. <laughs> Oh God, I love these rebellions. I absolutely adore these rebellions. This is amazing. I'm literally crying. I've just had to take my glasses off because I'm crying after. The poor woman. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so Gordo says, so there you go. Spoonerisms are all fun and games until you offer sweet cock porn. <laughs> Customer. Love the podcast. You and your guests are so insightful and inspiring. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much, Gordo. You've given me a right giggle today. And I'm sorry for everyone who's having to listen to terrible audio where I've, I've laughed too loud. All right, let's move on. So um, a big thank you to new patron Melinda Brack. I really deeply appreciate the support. And of course, I really appreciate the support of everybody who is an existing patron, old and new alike. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like my obscene outtakes from recording the audiobook, um, or if you would like to join me for Poison and Pro sessions, of which... I think the next one is this evening as this uh, episode airs, then you can do so from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. All right, this week's episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid. I have just renewed my Pro Writing, uh, my Pro Writing Aid uh, subscription because it is a fan-freaking-tastic piece of editing software. I use it personally as both my last line of defense and as a kind of grammar checker, style editor, and writing mentor before I ship my manuscript off to to my editor. But Pro Writing Aid is about more than just finding grammar mistakes. It helps you to learn good writing techniques. It has over 20 different writing reports that make suggestions and then offer detailed explanations for those suggestions. They have videos and even quizzes to help you understand the reasoning behind those suggestions. Writing can be grammatically perfect and still feel awkward and clumsy. Pro Writing Aid helps to search out elements like repetitiveness, vague wording, sentence length variation, over-dependence on advert, 
adverbs, passive voice, overcomplicated sentence constructions, and so much more. Of course, ProWritingAid will never be able to replace a human editor, but rather it helps you to self-edit your manuscripts to a detail, a deep, deeper level so that when you do send it off to an editor, they are able to focus on the meat of your writing and not spend their time fixing basic writing issues. All right, that is it from me this week. Let's get on with the interview. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Angeline Trevina. Angeline was born and bred in a rural corner of Devon, but now she lives among the breweries, which is a word I find very difficult to say, and canals of central England with her husband and their two sons and a rather neurotic cat. She is a dystopian urban fantasy and post-apocalyptic author, a podcaster and events manager. In 2013, she graduated from Edge Hill University, Lancashire, with a BA Honours degree in drama and writing. During this time, she decided that her future lay in writing words rather than performing them. Some years ago, she worked at an antique auction house and religiously checked every wardrobe that came in to see if Narnia was in the back of it. She's still not given up looking for it. Hello. Hello. Oh, and welcome. And you are you are one part of duo uh, of the Unstoppable Authors podcast as well. So we just let's give a nod to HB Line, the fabulous HB Line <laughs> and uh, your lovely podcast as well. And um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit more about you and I guess like your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah. So like it said in my bio there, I I am a full time author now. But it wasn't my lifelong dream. I always wanted to act. So my entire childhood was singing lessons, dance lessons, theatre lessons, and I spent half of my time on stage. So, yeah, when I was at university, I actually did um, a degree in drama and writing. And about halfway through my first year, I found that I enjoyed the writing side a lot more than I enjoyed the acting side. And that was that was a really strange thing to make that switch and kind of drop that ambition to act because it had been literally my whole persona my whole life up to that point had been based on this desire to act and it was it was a very strange thing (laughs) to let go of that um when I left university I started submitting short horror stories to anthologies and uh, that's so that's where my publishing career began really in short stories and uh, a few years after that I suggested to the writing group that I was in at the time I said why don't we put together our own anthology and self-publish it and they literally actually laughed at me this was (laughs) this was probably about 2014 2015 so that's how in like self-publishing was still thought of back then that it was sort of the last desperate attempt of people who couldn't get a publishing deal and I I just went right well screw you I'll show you so in 2015 I self-pubbed my first novella just to see if I could do it and 18 books later here we are so (laughs) yes not only did I find that I could do it but I really enjoyed it and I literally love every minute of being an indie author okay not not every minute yeah but nearly (laughs) yeah there are always stressful bits of every job I think it's oh, so yes. funny because like who is fucking laughing now over like the <laughs> self-help thing like just oh it's the biggest fuck you to the the publishing system ever <laughs> well we are here to talk about magic systems and world building so do you you've because you've just had a new book launch as well so do you want mm-hmm. to tell everyone a little bit about your series of books that aims to help writers uh do just that yeah, so I have a series of world building guides. It's um, at the moment there are four books in the series. I published the first one, which is called 30 Days of World Building, back in December 2019. And people liked it. People really liked it. <laughs> so the, the funny one was the second one I published is called How to Destroy the World. And it's about how to write dystopia and post apocalyptic worlds. I actually started planning that in the December before like the apocalypse happened. (laughs) 
and I was writing it in early 2020. So while COVID was still this thing that was happening in China and we didn't think it would affect us. And I finished writing it just as the UK went into lockdown and I almost didn't publish it. I very nearly held off. I was like, oh, so I, I kind of published it rather apologetically. <laughs> and I thought I'm not going to I'm not going to like capitalize on the fact that we've just gone into lockdown and I've written this book about how to write post-apocalyptic worlds. Um, but actually, I didn't get I didn't get any kickback from it, which I was worried that I might. And it did really well. So my third one um, I published in July 2020, which is called From Sanctity to Sorcery, which is all about creating magic systems and religions, which is my favorite bit of world building, I think. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I love that book. And yeah, just um, in April this year, I have literally just published my fourth one, which is how to create history, which is all about creating histories, myths and monsters because monsters are just cool. Yeah, they are. I uh, <laughs> That's the next one on my list. I've read your magic, uh, magic systems because mm. I am uh, sort of percolating, shall we say, a series called Murdering Magicians um, and the thing I am afraid of most is creating the magic system. And so this is why I'm like super glad to be speaking to you and why I read your book as well. So, all right, let's start with the basics. Where do you actually start building a magic system? And like, as I mentioned, uh, I'm kind of afraid of or like struggling <laughs> with um, building a magic system. And I think the reason is because with the first book, it was fantasy, but it had been with me for so long that I never really intentionally created the magic system. It just like, I did that silly thing of where you just put everything in anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, it was the story, you know, that I made up when I was like nine and I just mushroomed it and, and cultivated it kind of a way. So this feels like the first magic system I'm truly creating mm -hmm. intentionally and from the beginning. So like, I'm really overwhelmed. Where do I start? <laughs> so the really funny thing about writing these world building guides is that people think that's how I do it. They, my world building guides are the way people should word, world build as opposed to the way I do it, which is chaotic and all over the place. Now, I, I am a total complete uh, discovery writer and uh, <laughs> no, I'm yes, I know shock, shock, horror um, and my magic systems start very much in the same way as all of my books ever start, which is with just one tiny little idea, one tiny thing. And that is a perfectly fine place to start. It's absolutely perfect. Um, now, a lot of writers talk about plot bunnies. We all know, we've all heard about plot bunnies where you have one idea and then they just rapidly increase and reproduce like bunnies. Now, I don't get that. I don't get plot bunnies at all I get something which I call story worms now I don't know if you've ever been um worm charming or seen videos of people worm charming but uh, they get on a patch of ground and they stamp on it and they wiggle forks in it and they tap on it and they have to be incredibly patient to charm these worms up out of the ground that's how my stories are my stories come to me through what I call story worms so I I have a niggle of idea, an idea at the back of my head and I can't pull it. I can't pull it out because I'll lose it. It'll wriggle away. I have to be really, really patient with it. So oh. like you, you said that you, your first magic system, you had it with you for a long time before you actually um, wrote and published it. And mine's the same. I usually world build for around about six months but it's when I'm writing other stuff yeah so most of my world building happens just somewhere deep in the back of my head so let me are you world building intentionally like are you intentionally researching looking up things because like I will I will I don't know whether I should talk about this nugget but I'm going to I know that my magic <laughs> system um is buried in very large mansions and buildings um mm -hmm. and and so I have been 
intentionally looking up buildings and like yeah unusual architecture architecture unusual architecture <laughs> which is apparently very easy for me to say so like but but like and so I've been inputting and researching but I don't feel like that is creating a magic system if that makes sense so like yeah I just oh no doing... yeah it, it totally is yeah right I I have a notebook for each world that I build and so over the the six months around it usually takes me about six months to world build um i'm just letting every idea that pops into my head goes down in this particular notebook for that particular world and it's just a slow gathering exercise and yes sometimes i'll go oh i've got that really good idea and i'll spend an afternoon researching that and then it goes into the notebook to save it for later for when i'm actually ready to write the blooming story mm. <laughs> when i've finished all the others but um one thing i am a huge huge fan of is spider diagrams i love spider diagrams all of my um like ideas come out in spider diagrams because it's a brain splurge you can just splurge all your ideas without any kind of pressure to like make it linear or make it make any sense so you can start with your tiny little one idea that doesn't seem connected to anything right in the middle of a big, get a big piece of paper or a whiteboard and some big fat marker pens because they're awesome and put your one idea right in the center and then start working your way outwards. And a lot of those ideas are going to get rejected mm. and not make it into the final book, save them for another book. It, I, I always recycle my ideas. I love it. Um, but it takes that pressure off to like work in a linear way. You know, those times where sometimes you have a problem and you can't solve it and it's just rattling around your head and you just talk it through to somebody mm. and then you go, ah, oh, I know what the answer is. It's so obvious. And you didn't actually need their help. You just needed to articulate it in a linear way. That, so that's why I like the spider diagrams because you don't have to do things in a linear way and you can just splurge and then work out the linear pattern for it and then go ah that's what the answer is then and that's that. my rather chaotic answer yeah <laughs> definitely sensing a pattern here <laughs> definitely yes <laughs> no I think yeah I think that definitely gives me permission to keep like pouring in the input and yeah I've never heard it ref like referred to as a story worm but I definitely feel mm -hmm. like that is the shred that I have for the magic system I don't quite know yet how it's going to to play out but I know that I am making decisions and making connections like here because I can feel the story growing I know that sounds ridiculous but like I can anyway no it doesn't it do, it's not ridiculous that's exactly how mine work so okay okay let I it just, grow <laughs> yeah yeah and I also think I probably need to be a bit more intentional like and give it a notebook because at the moment I'm just storing it in my brain and, and I think that's just because I haven't given myself permission to work on it um definitely give it a notebook yeah yeah okay you've just given me an excuse to go buy notebooks which my wife like is we need excuses to know, buy right? notebooks I know, it's not like I've literally got a box of them right here but no of course I need a new one um you do I, obviously <laughs> Um, all right. So one of um, the things that I know is really important because of conflict creation is to limit um, the magic system or, or create limits of some kind or a cost. Um, so what what how do you do that with a magic system? How do you know what to limit? How do you know what the cost is like? How how do you create create that? And why is creating limitations so important? Yes. So as you say, limitations on magic is absolutely necessary because you need it to create conflict. You need it to put barriers in the path of your protagonist so that they can actually have a character arc. So you can have, you've got three choices on how you limit your magic. So you can have completely limitless magic, magic that can literally do anything that is all powerful, that everyone uses it in whatever way they want to use it. But then you need really strong consequences of using it. And those consequences can either be societal consequences, like, for instance, it's illegal to use magic or it's illegal for your particular character 
because of their demographic to use magic. You know, maybe every time you use magic, it sends like this huge beacon of light up into the sky so the authorities can come and just grab you for, for using it. Or you can build a limit into the actual magic system itself. So perhaps you lose some of your memories every time you use magic or some of your eyesight or you go a little more insane every time you use it. Or, you know, it might be that you need, so you need to have those limits and those consequences of using the magic. But, you know, you, you, magic itself can be limitless. It can just be crazy. You can go mad with it. Or you can limit the magic as much as you want and have no consequences of using it at all, which is kind of fun <laughs> as well. Um, so you can limit your magic in loads of ways. You can make it really difficult to learn. You can make like, maybe you need a certain plant to do your magic that's really difficult to find. Maybe you need something really expensive. Maybe you need to be really close to the person that you're performing magic on. So you can't send magic spells like across a whole city. Maybe magic is blocked by stone or something like that, you know? So you can either have limitless magic with strong consequences, or you can have limited magic with no consequences, or you can have both. You can have limited magic with consequences of using it as well. So you can, you can really, really limit as much as you want, however much your story needs. And I mean, I, I write dystopias, so <laughs> I love making limits to my magic. That's a, a really important part of the worlds that I create because they are dystopian worlds. And remember, there, there are other ways that magic can be limited, like maybe knowledge has been forgotten or lost over time. Maybe knowledge has been stolen, you know, so, so it might be that just the, the knowledge isn't there anymore of how to do all of the magic and there might be particular spells that nobody remembers how to do anymore or there might be spells that you only half know and maybe like you burn off your eyebrows because you're doing it wrong <laughs> you know but yeah so limits consequences it because it all works to create conflict because if you have a limitless magic system with no consequences of using it whatsoever, what stops your character on the first page from achieving their ultimate goal? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Oh, look, you haven't got a book. <laughs> so, yes, you absolutely have to limit uh, or have consequences or have both and have fun with it. Be cruel to your characters. <laughs> <laughs> I love being an author. <laughs> it's so I much fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying so hard to stay focused in the room because as you're talking, like, I feel like you're feeding my brain and I'm like, I'm getting all of these disparate ideas and I'm like trying desperately to like keep, keep hold of like the threads so that I don't forget. I'm absolutely loving this. Like this, this, I think so many listeners are going to go away with like 50,000 ideas and have to come back and re-listen to this um, episode. All right. So, um, what are the most common I'm actually I, I'm gonna have to do it I'm gonna have to take a post-it and write, write some of the things down that I just came to me <laughs> what are some of the most common mistakes you see in in books with magic systems so one of the common mistakes is creating plot holes with your magic system and this most often happens when you haven't limited your magic system so if you have a magic system with no limits and no consequences and you get to a part of your story where your characters you're like right for the sake of the story they cannot use magic right now why how do you explain that they cannot use magic if you haven't limited or, or built in consequences so that's that's why you can really write yourself some massive plot holes what you end up with is something along the lines of the eagles in lord of the rings you know, the, the whole debate about, well, why didn't they just fly Frodo all the way there? <laughs> you know, and, and people debate this a lot. And there isn't, I, I haven't yet come across anyone arguing a very strong reason why they didn't just use the eagles. So you, you end up with that. You can end up with these big plot holes. And 
the other mistake that people make a lot is going, I want magic in my book. And they just kind of use it as a bolt on. They go, boo, there's magic, but they don't integrate it into their world properly. Now, if you think about it, in our world that we live in now, imagine, obviously there is real magic in the world already, but imagine it was a like a proper magic system, you know, sort of like Harry Potter sort of magic. Then think about the things that it would affect in society. Like somebody would know how to monetize it. It would be monetized, wouldn't it? It would end up wrapped up in capitalism. There would be people making huge amounts of profit from magic. It would be in politics. You know, what the laws, what laws are around around magic. And it would be in the education system. It might be in the religion system. You know, it would affect everyday life because of it being integrated into the world. So yeah, sometimes writers will just add it as this bolt on, but forget to put it into the rest of their world. And it's kind of like putting an one single orange in a bowl of apples and thinking no one's going to notice, you know, it needs to be integrated. It needs to be properly like it belongs there. And in, in the same way, not making it affect the character because the magic has more effect on a character than just, oh, I can use magic. You know, what are their opinions of it? How do they feel about it? You know, maybe they, they haven't got as much magical power as they want. Maybe they've got more magical power than they want. So it's really important to integrate the magic deep into your world and deep into your character rather than just use it as a bolt on simply because I want to have magic in my book because it's cool. That's a good starting point. That's fine. <laughs> you know, the, I start a lot of my books from just, I just want to write this because it's cool. <laughs> Which is a fantastic segue. I'm going to flip flop the questions around because one of my later questions was how can writers make their magic systems integral to both the plot and their characters? Yeah. So like I have mentioned a few things. So if you if you think about um, how it would fit into your world, okay, integrate it into all the structures in your world um, and think always about like the consequences of that. Um, like magic in the education system, is everyone able to learn magic? You know, it might just be that only boys can learn magic or only rich children can learn magic. So make sure it's it's really deep into your story. You can also use magic as like an inciting incident. It can be really involved in your inciting incident. You can use it to raise the stakes. We've talked about how you can use magic to um, create conflict. But yeah, you can really, really use it to raise the stakes either. You know, maybe your character desperately needs to learn this particular part of magic and you can keep it from them as long as you want. Make them work for it, <laughs> be cruel. And if you use magic as your resolution for your main conflict at the end of your story, make sure you foreshadow it. <laughs> Do lots of lovely foreshadowing, that's what we like. Um, you can include magic in all of your try-fail cycles throughout your story as well. And yeah, you can make it affect your character beyond the fact that they're just able to use magic or not able to use magic. That might, that might be the, the character point you're making. So you can tie the magic to their goals and think about how they feel about, about magic. Maybe in their backstory, they have a tragic magic story. You know, something maybe something magic has like really affected them in their backstory, maybe it's really hurt them or maybe they are suffering under some kind of long-standing family curse or something but yeah think about how magic can affect your character beyond just whether or not they can use it think about um their backstory and think about how they feel about magic because obviously putting across how your character feels about magic is a really important thing to keep your readers engaged with that character so yeah yeah I am <laughs> I am so glad we're, we are talking because I feel like 
the more words that you're saying, the more I'm listening to you, <laughs> the more my confidence is coming back. Because like Good. I genuinely, I was talking about this um, earlier on, on the Next Level Authors podcast, about how I feel like I've lost a lot of confidence with my fiction. And I think mm. that was one of the reasons that I have been like, yes, I have been inputting and researching but I haven't really been doing anything about it and it's because I've been afraid I've been afraid of creating the magic system I've been afraid of publishing fiction again I've been afraid of like doing all of this shit and I just feel like you are giving me permission and like I do know some of this stuff and like other things you've just given me fantastic ideas for um but and like the weirdest thing is, is I feel like these answers were here anyway. I just hadn't, mm. I just, I just couldn't reach them if that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so let's talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. How important do you think uh, diversity is in a magic system? And like, what does that look like? Like, how can I think diversity for me? personally you only have to look at me to know what the diversity is important to me but like what does that look like in a magic system yeah so writing diversity into your magic system can be a fantastic source of conflict which of course we all love and want to add more of in our books but it also adds depth and more layers to your magic system and in a way it can make it feel more real And you can use diversity to highlight differences and inequalities between different groups of people. And there there I see, I keep coming back to dystopia all the time. I just love it. Um, So think about like the people that you know in real life. I, I always go back to school because that's certainly a very divided place. Um, between, you know, people have different skills and different abilities and like in the same way when lots of people take the same medicine it affects everyone slightly differently so you might have for example really athletic people practice magic in a totally different way to like more academic people so there might be different approaches to magic that you can use and think about the different skill sets that different demographics of people might have so maybe magic manifests differently for female and male characters so then of course you can think about but what about transgender and non-binary characters how would it feel to have a magical power which doesn't align with your true gender so that's that's a way that you can include Um, diversity in your magic system and also think about like invading or immigrant cultures so different cultures coming in might have different magic systems and they might play really nice with the other magic systems they're meeting or they might not (laughs) so another way you can play to really get conflict out that diversity is what if these different sort of skill sets that people have Is one stronger than the other? Is one considered more noble and better than the other? Is one of those skill sets taught in schools and one isn't? So people have to learn how to use it themselves. Maybe one of those skill sets is illegal and one isn't. So yeah, you can you can really play with that diversity. And again, you can play with that diversity when you're talking about the consequences of using magic. So, you know, maybe a certain demographic of people, it affects them more than it does other people. Yeah, it's really, really good fun. And again, it's just being cruel to your characters. How cruel can you possibly be to your characters? (laughs) I'm just a really mean author. (laughs) No, I think, but hey, it creates the best stories when you have like the most conflict. So. Um, I just I'm busy I've literally now filled three post-it notes so <laughs> this is like Good. the most difficult interview ever because like <laughs> I have never wanted to write down so much in all my life as well as like keep li- listening to everything that you're saying this is amazing um okay so one of the things that I love about um 
also I'm going to throw you another question which I didn't prepare you for oh but, no um, I know I know but I'm going to tell you now and I'll ask it at the end so I wanted to know um and feel free to include your own magic system in this but what are some of your favorite magic systems like oh that's in, an in, easy question yeah, okay. In, in books <laughs> literature. um okay so some one of my favorite things about books more and more recently actually rather than when I was younger I don't think I appreciated it when I was younger but details minor details um and like the little things that authors add into their stories that create depth and realism Mm. so like what are some of the details or nuances a writer should consider in order to make their magic system feel real yeah so when when we talk about making something feel real obviously we're talking about making it feel real in your world because we all know about this suspension of disbelief thing where we can accept anything we can accept unicorns we can accept mermaids we can we can accept crazy things in your world as long as they fit in your world as long as they feel real in your world and that's that's the really important thing when you're talking about like these little tiny fun details because they are really fun I like it too I really like little details (laughs) and um but you've got to make it feel like they belong there and not do that whole bolt-on thing so look at the history of your world look at where you can add things in maybe you can have physical or ideological reminders of the impact that magic has had through your world so there may be like monuments or there might it might be a mountain range that was created by magic or a massive hole in the ground or maybe there's a monster in the woods that was accidentally created by magic you know we've all done that haven't we um (laughs) so think about like fun little reminders that you can put in but really integrate them into the history of your world create a historical reason why it's there and one of my favorite things in world building that I really enjoy is like creating festivals. I love making festivals. I love I love all the color and the music and just fun. And I like eating candy floss. So, you know, we like festivals. And you can really tie that into the history of your world again. You know, how long has that festival existed and who who runs that festival? Like maybe not everyone is allowed to attend a festival. You know, you can get more conflict. It, literally everything you ever write, you could just <laughs> be mean to your characters and add in some great conflict and tie it into society and the institutions as well. So maybe magic is mentioned in like your national anthem. Maybe there's a symbol of magic in the, in the national flag Maybe whenever they name a new ship, they say a magical spell over it. And it just, what it does is you can take these really cool little, just fun, tiny little things, but it makes it fit into your world better. You know, all the things that maybe your character barely even notices and you just give them a passing mention but it's something that's normal in your world and it really, really cements your magic into your world. And of course, like with any kind of writing, when you're revealing any kind of world building at all, the way you your character reacts to it is giving a clue to your readers as to how normal it is in your world. So if your character is surprised by something, you're telling your readers that it is not normal in your world but if your characters don't barely even notice it then you're telling your readers that it is very very normal in your world so that's really really important to pay attention to when you're when you're making all these little add-ons for your magic system how does your character react to them and always keep bringing it back to character and how it affects them and their life yeah, yeah, uh, I love that. I'm now three quarters of the way through my fourth post-it, so I just thought I'd keep you updated on the post-it situation. It's, it's important news. It is important yeah. news. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, my post-it obsession. Anyway, um, okay. So, 
one thing I think a lot of people worry about is like, like originality. There are so many magic systems and like so many famous magic systems now that sometimes it can feel like we're just rehashing the same old magic. So like, how can authors make sure that what they're doing is original or where can they draw inspiration from? Like, how can you create something unique? Okay, so we do, as authors, we always put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be completely unique and original and doing something nobody else has ever thought of before but I think I kind of think that's a lot of fake pressure that we shouldn't put on ourselves because it's actually our voice as authors that make our books unique and original I see it a lot like authors freaking out because they've seen a book or read a book or you know, there's a book that they're like, oh no, but it's a bit similar to what I'm already writing. Brilliant, good. Then that really helps you with your marketing. You know, <laughs> it's a good thing. And it means that there's um, there's already an audience for what you're writing. So we we put this huge amount of pressure on ourselves to be completely unique and original. Obviously, you don't want to be writing absolute carbon copies of what everyone else is doing. But that's, I think... That's where it comes down to your voice as an author. The world that you've created is going to be unique in certain ways. There are going to be lots of things that are familiar to your readers, but actually that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. It's it make, because it makes the learning curve for your reader a lot easier because ev every time you add anything into your world building, which is different from the world your readers live in, you're making their learning curve that little bit steeper so putting familiar familiar things in things that are your readers are used to reading is quite good so you want to use the unique things to zhuzh it up <laughs> you know so you can twist things and you can turn things on their heads like with any trope you can just turn it around and look at it from a different angle I think as writers, we're quite good at doing that anyway. But take inspiration from your from yourself, from your own interests, you know. So maybe you want to make a magic system that's really nature-based because you love nature. Maybe you want to make it animal-based because you love animals. Maybe you're a, a crafter and you're really good at crochet or knitting. Then you can have a magic system that's based on tying knots you know, base it in science, if that's what you're into, or maths, or singing, or sports, you know, I think a really good place to start for your inspiration is just yourself, you know, what are you interested in, what interests you, and I tell you what, if you're making magic systems based on something you're interested in, then your marketing's done for you, all that mm. attraction marketing on social media. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, one of the fun questions then, which the, the question that we come back to, um, your favourite magic system. So I um, I don't know if you've read anything by Rainbow Rowell, but she basically wrote, uh, I guess, like fan fiction that's ended up as its own, you know, famous set of books. But she wrote the Carry On series. And I love the magic system in that because it's based off of famous phrases. Oh, so wow. like the more famous the phrase, the more power the spell has. And of course, I'm now not going to remember a single bloody one. But you know, <laughs> like idioms, for example, or um, song lyric that's really famous, they will have to like use the song lyric or a certain phrase and it, you know they have to use it in a certain way and then it will create the effect that they want like burn baby burn for example mm. you know that's a famous like song lyric so they might like use their wand with burn baby burn and and then they might be able to set something like but I loved like the uniqueness of you have to know enough about like mm. general knowledge in order to and also <laughs> it's locational as well so like mm. of course some phrases in the UK which would be really popular as spells are not necessarily the same in like Brazil or America or whatever. And so then your magic doesn't work in other places, which I just thought was fantastic. So yeah, anyway. That, that uh, is very cool. I, I'd be terrible at that magic because pop culture is just, it washes over me. 
what what are but some of your favorites my my favorite I, whenever I get asked this I go to exactly the same one every time and that's Patrick Rothfuss's in the King Killer Chronicles which is blooming difficult to say is that the name um, of the wind series yes ah, yeah I have that his, book I haven't read yeah, it yet his magic system is it's so scientific it's like all based on like the properties of the materials you're using and it's it's like engineering and technology and science all wrapped up in magic and it's just it's so believable it is so believable that that's what I love about it you could really imagine that it actually exists in our world you know because it's so logical and it's so just you go yeah of course that would work <laughs> and, I'm gonna yeah, have to I, shove that, that up, is up the up the TBR list then because I, I definitely own the book uh mm-hmm. I just haven't got around to reading it yeah I know it's up there somewhere I think it yeah, just be just shelf. be warned we're still waiting for the next in the series yes I have heard that it's like 10 years oh there it is it's on the top shelf yeah um, it's yeah. about a decade yeah, wow <laughs> okay I mean yeah that well I mean it's a big series though isn't it so isn't there like four books or something already or? three three at the okay. moment two three. two novels and one excellent novella and aren't they all big the the novels are big they are yeah. big and chunky yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay cool I might have to pick up the other two books later because I definitely want to read it however I'm like it's a beast and I'm trying to read 100 it books is. this year so I'm like oh maybe I have to wait until after I've hit my target and then I can slip in the long ones I've got a book that's like 800 pages that I really want to read um but I'm like if I read an 800 page book I'm gonna like fall behind you know because most books are four or 500 <laughs> words and that's fine but an 800 book is yep. like two books in one anyway yeah um all right this is the rebel author podcast so tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel so you're gonna ha- hate me I'm, a, I'm an incredibly boring adult I was a very wayward teenager though but honestly most of my rebel moments were just really dumbass <laughs> like me being really stupid like yeah there was this time at university where me and my friend had the great idea to bleach my hair and we wanted to bleach it to like white blonde the only thing was it was at the time dyed jet black already and uh yeah four bottles of bleach it took over two days and the second day I was meant to go to work so I called in sick because my hair was just such a horrendous color that uh, just no so yeah that would see my, that's what my rebel moments are all <laughs> based on just really dumb dumb things I'm so lucky I didn't lose all my hair I, tell I was you. I was literally <laughs> just about to say you're so like, like all, all that you didn't get like scalp burns or whatever I know that yeah. is a lot of bleach to to have put on your hair yeah yeah about six weeks I think I kept it for maybe six weeks maybe even less than that I couldn't even get hair brushed through it <gasps> and I went to a hairdresser and I was like please save as much as you can and uh, they were like miracle workers yeah. <laughs> they, they saved most of it so. I, I tried to go blonde once also didn't end very well I was blonde for yeah. about a month and like the thing is my hair won't go ash white because that's the color mm. I wanted um but it's so dark naturally that um it just refuses to go ash white. I just get this yellow color um mm. and it doesn't matter how much toner I use how many times I bleach it it just will not it will not go or or it will go but then my hair is fucked and like so it's just not worth even trying so now I do big bright colors instead although I have to say I'm definitely rapidly going gray so I'm sure I'll be white before long (laughs) anyway (laughs) but that's cool now is it though this is what my wife keeps telling me but um I really don't feel cool in any way shape or form she um she redid the my roots yesterday which is why it's a bit pink rather than purple like after a couple of dyes it goes darker and she was like oh there's a gray there's a gray like shut the fuck up why do you keep telling me about them what's wrong with you and she's like she's like this wonderful sort of dirty blonde color that just like her nan's like 90 friggin four and still isn't gray like and I'm just like you're a dick just because you're gonna have like 
brown hair forever or blonde hair forever anyway I'm gonna stop whining about my gray hair because yeah it's, I won't tell you that I haven't got any yet and I'm <gasps> than you. <laughs> my my parents went gray and incredibly late <laughs> yeah my, so are mine my mum was like 50 or like late 40s before she went gray and my dad was like in his like late 40s early 50s before he went gray I don't get it I don't get it anyway whatever <laughs> clearly it's just like the stress of my life um, clearly, yeah. <laughs> all right tell everyone where they can find out more about you your books and anything else you'd like to add so everything you could ever want to know about my writing life is at angelinetravina.co.uk or .com will get you there. I am on Facebook, but I'm a bit crap with Facebook. Um, but I do have a Facebook page at Angeline Trevina. I'm on Twitter, Angeline Trevina. I'm best on Instagram. I like that the best. And I am Angeline and the world on Instagram. That's where I post pictures of cake and cats. So come and look at that. <laughs> yeah and I'll add all of those links in the show notes as well well thank you so much for your time today thank you very much <laughs> and of course a big thank you to all of the show's patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes then you can do so by visiting uh, patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black and of course a huge thank you to everyone listening I'm Sasha Black you were listening to Angeline Trevina and this was the Rebel Author Podcast Next week, I am really excited for the conversation. Uh, I make a massive faux pas uh, in the show, which is really quite funny. And there's lots of cackles and giggles. But I'm excited because I'm talking to one of my uh, good friends, uh, Helen Scheurer. And we are going to be talking all about um, running running a six-figure author business on one book a year because that is what she has done. She has built a six-figure author business by publishing one book a year. I think that is the dream, really. Uh, So yeah, join me next week when I'm talking to Helen. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 